Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome. My name is Eric Hoffman, one of the executive pastors here at Fellowship, and so good to be with you guys in the new year, um, getting back into it. And we're going to um, pick up back into our study of Philippians. And uh, if you're new with us, what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and we'll work through it verse by verse. And we're asking, you know, what did the author uh, intend to communicate? And then how can we apply it to our life to help us follow Jesus in our everyday life? And so uh, excited to be jumping back in there um, after our Advent series. So the section we'll be looking at today is Philippians 3, 12 through 16. So if you have your Philippians booklet or your Bible, you can pull that out. Um, and in order to kind of set up a little bit of kind of what Paul is gonna be talking about and get to know you better, I wanna ask you this, this question. How many of you would say you are great at multitasking? Any, any great multitaskers there? Okay, you're gonna regret raising your hand in a second, but um, how many of you check email under the table while you're in a meeting? Okay, I see some people smiling at me, but they're just not gonna raise their hand. All right, I see, all right. Uh, how many of you, while you're having a conversation with somebody, also will text somebody else? Like you're having a conversation, okay, see some, see some proud hands. Those aren't things to be necessarily proud of, but um, how many of, of you are, while you're on the way to a particular restaurant, actually look up the menu to decide what you're gonna eat at that restaurant while you're in the car? Okay, all right, all right. Well, right now, I mean, some of you are probably even adjusting your fantasy football team. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that too. But uh, now some of you didn't raise your hand because you were like, hey, I think he's setting me up. And you're right. I'm exactly setting you up because there is no such thing actually as a great multitasker. They actually have done recent studies. And a lot of the studies on multitasking are actually recent because of the devices that we hold in our hand. I mean, if you think about this, how many different tools and devices did a smartphone replace? I mean, just start listing them off in your brain. I mean, camera, music player, calculator, you know, all of those things are all now at the tip of our fingers. And so they're doing a lot of research now. And what they're finding is that multitasking is actually really dangerous. Um, multitasking breaks down relationship because people are so distracted by all the information they have. The amount of information that we have at our fingertips actually leads to anxiety and stress. Um, there, our productivity actually is, is down uh, in multitasking because we're not focusing on these things. So if you raise your hand, probably that you're a great multitasker, I'm sorry to inform you that this, this is not the case. And actually it's dangerous. And I was reading a story of uh, somebody a doctor in Dallas who was uh, preparing uh, a patient for heart surgery and needed to change his medication so he didn't bleed out and was in the middle of changing his medication and got a text and then responded to the text and then forgot what he was doing before he got the test, uh, the text. And the, that surgery immediately turned into trying to save the patient's life. So that's the dangers of multitasking. In fact, there's like another study. This is a side note. I didn't give you this first service, but I was reading... In New York City, they did a survey of pedestrians hit by cars. And they found that one out of five people were actually on their phone while they were hit by a car, okay? And it was totally avoidable. And I was curious, I was like, I wonder if they would have surveyed the people that actually hit the people that were on their phone uh, how many of them would have been on their phone driving <laughs> while they hit the person on their phone? It's just, it's just crazy. So one of the things that I set all that up to say is that Paul is saying the opposite of multitasking. And what he is saying is actually the one thing that we need to do is be singular focus in our life. Not to, not to have multiple things we're pursuing, but to be pursuing one thing with all of our effort. And that is to know Jesus and become like Jesus. 
That is what Paul is setting up for us today. And so that's what I'm, I'm excited. And what a, what a great message to start the new year in Philippians of talking about a renewed focus on knowing who uh, Jesus is and becoming more like him. So if you're not there already, turn it with me in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, and we will, we will look at that uh, today. And one of the things that I, I just wanted to encourage you and um, the last gift that we sent to you guys, uh, it's all also the beautifully well done audio reading of Philippians. I would encourage you, if you have not yet, read through Philippians and listen to that because one of the things you're gonna notice here in our text is Paul is constantly hyperlinking to different places in Philippians in this passage. And then he's also hyperlinking to different uh, letters that he's previously written. And so that's just helpful for us when we think about the whole grand scheme of things in that. So let's start with verse 12. If you'll join me there in your Bibles. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's pause there. The first thing when you're, when you're reading the scriptures, if you have questions, be curious of the text. The first thing that I got curious about is what is the already obtained this? What is the this that he is referencing to? So if we look back into verse 10, if you scan back into verse 10, a couple of verses, we see that his the this that he's talking about of already obtaining, of not already obtaining, is actually to pursue and to know Christ, his resurrecting power, and become like Christ. That's the obtaining this part that he's talking about. Now, the word press on that he says of, of that singular pursuit to press on towards obtaining this, what, he's, what the word there in Greek, it, it means is dioko, and it means to run or catch a person or a thing. So, the image that should come into your mind is actually a sprinter in a race, pressing on towards the goal or the finish line. That's what was pressing on towards that finish line. So look at verse 14, drop, drop down two verses, verse 14. He uses the same word here. So he's doubling up, he's emphasizing this word for a reason. I press on, dioko, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, he uses this language, actually this exact language and this exact phrase in another place in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So this is the image that we should be thinking about when we think of press on. This is the image of a runner striving, great effort, but pursuing a very intentional goal. That's, that's the image that Paul is, is trying to get into our minds um, with, with this. Now let's look at the back half of verse 12. So look, look back on verse 12. It says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So it is because Christ has first made us his own that we now belong to Christ. So because of what he has done, now think of Christmas and Advent, we, we celebrated that Jesus came and pursued us, becoming, becoming one of us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus pursued us to make us his own. Now, Paul is saying, because of what Jesus has done to take hold of you, now strive in such a way to take hold and pursue Jesus. So the, in the same way that Jesus has pursued you, now pursue Jesus to take hold of him. That's what Paul is getting at here. And the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, what, what does that mean? What is, he, what is he talking about? What is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Well, in 1 
Timothy 6.12, he again uses that exact phrasing. So Paul does this in all of his letters. He, he uses very similar phrasing so that if one church you know, ends up talking to another church, they, they actually have the same kind of things in mind. He's using this, this imagery. In 1 Timothy 6.12, it gives more clarity of what he's talking about. What is this upward call? It says, fight the good fight of faith. So again, that striving, pursuing, that goal, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, so again, that same phrase, of eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what Paul is saying, what 1 Timothy gives us an insight here, is that if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you believe the good news of Jesus, your confession of faith, you have been taken hold of, by Jesus. You now belong to God's family. You are now an adopted son and daughter of God, that you are now part of him. You've been taken hold of, and you will join him and be with him for eternity. That's what, that's what he is saying here. Now, our faith, when we respond in faith, our faith is a response to God's initiation in our hearts. It's his work that he does to make us aware of our need for him. So our faith response is because he has done something in us in order that we see our need for him. So our faith is a response to God's initiation. So through faith in in Christ that we have now been adopted in, this moment we believe moves us from death to life. That's what Lloyd a couple weeks ago in uh, in the passage in, in Philippians was talking about. That's justification. You've crossed over from death to life. Like you will now be with him for eternity. But then Paul is switching gears right here. He's saying, but now, because you've been taken hold of, because you've been justified by what Jesus has done, now you are to pursue Jesus with all that you are. And that is the work of sanctification. That is the work of us working out our salvation. That is the work of us pursuing Jesus to become more like him, to know him more. Because we've been taken hold of, our response now is to take hold of him. That is our pursuit now. So this is where we wrestle. This is where we fight. This is where we press on. Honestly, this is the hard part of the Christian journey, that we have so many things working against us, knowing and becoming more like Jesus. We have so many distractions. We have uh, the the world's values and, and, and ideologies. We have um, the, the heaven, the, the spiritual powers working against us. We have, we have our own flesh and our desires working against this goal. I mean, again, like the distraction that we have at our fingertips all the time is like, it's, we're distracted all the time. Like we're, we're trying to fill ourselves with our own desires. So Paul is saying, hey, let's realign, let's shift. We need to pursue uh, what is what is most most valuable here? Simply put, is living in light of what one day will be fully realized. So living as on earth as it one day will be in heaven. That's what we're pursuing: to know Jesus, to become like Him, to be uh, living out in this this way of what one day will fully be realized. That we now pursue here. The story of scriptures are Jesus bringing the kingdom of heaven, seeing heaven and earth overlap, and his followers to live in light of the kingdom. So now the question becomes, okay, so Paul, okay, I'm, I'm on board with you. Like I, I should press on. I should, I should make this my goal. I should, I should be thinking eternally about what, what's gonna be happening in Christ Jesus. 
but how do we obtain this prize? Like, how do we live in this way? Like, what are we to do? Like, help us here because we're so easily distracted. This is like, we're not living in this way. So how do we? So here's where Paul gives us his, what he does. Look at verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, again, the singular focus, the singular focus of Paul, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on, again, that same word, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I'm striving because I haven't taken hold of it. So I do one thing, forgetting what is behind and pressing forward. So what, is, what does Paul mean, forgetting what, what uh, lies behind and pressing forward? Well, the work of pursuing Christ, pursuing him as one thing will be a constant putting aside. It will be a constant uh, experience of putting to death things that don't bring us closer to Jesus, things that we thought were life, but now in the light and revelation of who Jesus is and through his spirit and his word, we're realizing that I need to actually put these behind. So Paul actually gives us this example of the things that he thought was life that he has now put behind. So I was a, he was a zealot of the law. He was a Jew of Jews. He, you know, all, all of his accolades and status and what he was about that he thought was life, that he thought was the way to live. He's now putting behind, putting aside because he's realizing it is not producing life. It is not actually where my identity needs to be. It is not bringing life of Christ uh, transformed in me. So I'm putting it aside. He has this eternal perspective. He's seeing what is worth striving for. And he's constantly evaluating things in his life that aren't leading him there and constantly putting aside things that aren't um, uh, leading him to his goal. So I, I want you to think about this. Um, as I was reading and, and studying this, one of the things that hit me that honestly has never hit me before is Paul, when he's, when he's writing these letters to people, and think about what Paul has put behind, that he was, he was a zealot, that he was, he was a Jew of Jews, following the law to the nth degree. That actually led Paul to persecute the church, like persecute Christians, like out of, out of his, his zeal, right? Well, Paul when he was persecuting Christians and, and putting to death Christians, now when he has this revelation of who Jesus is, the very same people that he was persecuting, he is now writing letters to and he is now uh, ministering to. And some of these people that he would be looking eye to eye, like he was very involved in actually ruining part of their lives. So what Paul is not saying here, what, I'm gonna be clear what Paul is not saying. He's not saying, hey, you know, the past is the past, just get over it, just move on. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, listen, like the things I thought were life, the things I thought were are not, and I need to put them aside. He's not just saying, hey, get over it. Like he wouldn't have come into those situations and been like, hey, I know, I know what I did, but just get over it, put it in the past. That's not what Paul's saying here. And so if, if you've ever had anyone use like a, a scripture like this of like, hey, just get over it, like put it behind you, strive forward, just move, move on, just like forget about it. It's not, you know, that's not what, what Paul is saying. That's not how this, this verse in context would be would be talked about. So don't, don't let people abuse you know, this text. Let's keep it in context. So the one thing that, as we're kind of moving forward and we're thinking about this, of what Paul is saying here to the, the, the church in Philippi and what he's, what he's communicating to all believers is it's gonna arise some tension because as you're hearing this language of like press on, strive, um, obtain, you know, take hold of, it feels like a lot of like self-effort, 
you know, self-sufficiency, doesn't it? I mean, like, are you, are you feeling that a little bit? Like, okay, like becoming like Jesus feels like it's a lot, like it's just all me. Like, but that's not what Paul is saying. So I wanna, I wanna separate this out a little bit. Uh, William Hendrickson in his commentary on Philippians gives a really helpful insight here. He says, when this perfection is called goal, it will be viewed as the object of human striving. But when Paul uses it as prize, when it's called prize, it is viewed as a gift of God's sovereign grace. So when it's called prize, it's view of God's sovereign grace. Though it is true that this believing and striving are start from to finish completely dependent on God's grace, nevertheless, it is us who must embrace Christ and salvation in him. It is we who must strive to enter. God does not do the believing and striving for us. So here's, break this down just a little bit. So it is God's work of grace from beginning to end that allow us to believe and to even be empowered to strive in this way. And at the same time, it is us who do the believing and striving for. So which one is it? It's both. It's yes, it's grace from beginning to end and it's human effort. So we see the same tension early in, in Philippians. So let's look back on um, in chapter two, we saw the same thing of what Paul is, is talking about here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so that's, that's our striving, that's our believing. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then, he sa- and then it says, for God is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, we see it, it's, it's work out and it's God who works in. It's both at the same time. It's working together. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and God works in. So we're working out what God has worked in and continually working in. So we must work out what God has worked out on our behalf. We must take hold of what we've been taken hold of for. We co-labor to God from beginning to end. We are joining with what God wants to accomplish in us. So let me expand on this idea because there's kind of two polar opposites views of when you read Paul, you kind of can get into two different camps and legalism and license. And so I just wanna show you just a little bit of, of this. Of If you go to the license side, license is saying that pursuing and becoming like Jesus is impossible. So therefore, like I can't actually obtain this. So I'm not, I'm not going to try to live in this way. So I'm just gonna do what makes me happy. I'm gonna try to like self-fulfill, seek pleasure, do those type of things. So that's, that's self-fulfillment. That's, that's where great, high on grace, even though it's a, a wrong view of grace, high on grace, but very little effort given to pursuing and striving in this way, okay? Then the, the opposite side is actually legalism, where it kind of goes the opposite way, where in legalism, you set a standard of performance that you can achieve in your own strength, and then you try to hold others to it, okay? So you, you know, you're still not reaching like the full, like the potential of that, of like perfection in that way, but you're lowering it down to where you can achieve something and you're kind of creating a standard in your own that you can achieve, and then you're holding other people to it. And what I mean by that is like you would start off with something and then you would say, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian or what this looks like, and you can obtain it in your own strength. And so you feel really good about yourself, feel really prideful, and then you start critiquing and, and judging people who aren't doing what you're doing. That's, that's essentially what legalism uh, points to. Now, what I see happening in, in the church and, in, and even in our culture, 
But it happens on both sides of, of legalism and license where they're creating these ideologies and this paradigm built on their human system and standards that are extra biblical. And then they're holding other people to it. And so this is where you get this, this whole concept of, oh man, I can't believe that people don't see it the way that I see it. I don't even know how they could be a Christian. You know, and that's, that's kind of what is happening with legalism and license in that way. Now, both of these, legalism and license, where one is higher on grace and lower on works, or one is higher on works and lower on grace, both of these actually are self-focused. One is self-fulfillment and one is self-sufficiency. So one is constantly looking for how they can find life within their own strength of what's gonna give them more or make them feel good and those type of things. And the other is going to be self-sufficient. Both don't need God. God and his grace are not at the center. Does that make sense? So what Paul is, is proposing here is that grace and works actually work together. So they're actually growing at the same time. So work out your salvation, God is working out in you. Um, press on towards the goal, and he is actually the one who sustains you and empowers you to do so. It's both growing at the same time. It's grace from beginning to end, and it's us striving and believing. It's both happening at the same time, and both are actually expanding. And so that's what Paul is, is talking about. Grace is not relied on just once when you believe. It's just for when I step from unbeliever to belief, but grace and works are not separate realities. They're continuously growing together. All right, let's look at the last two verses and we're gonna get into application. The last two verses here. Paul says, let us, uh, us who are mature think this way. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that uh, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. I think the NASB translation is a little clearer. So let me read that in the first part. If in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you as well. I love the confidence that Paul is saying here. He's essentially saying, hey, if you don't have this attitude and this view of what the Christian life is about, you're wrong. And I hope God reveals that to you. Like that's essentially what he's saying. Have you ever met someone that's that confident about like what they believe? But Paul isn't like, he's, he's saying like, listen, this is the pursuit of the Christian life. This is what it is all about to know Jesus to become like Jesus and his resurrecting power through the Holy Spirit. That is what we are to be about. And if you have a different attitude on this, of what we've already attained in Christ, then, I, then God will, by his spirit, his word, and the community, reveal that this is where you actually need to be putting your focus. That's what Paul, that's what Paul is saying, uh, and he's saying it so, so confidently. So here's, here's where I wanna kind of press down with us as we start the new year, as we hear these words of Paul talking about pressing on, putting behind, behind things, Paul is saying we should not be apathetic in our faith. We should not be apathetic of saying like, you know what, like, I don't know, I'm just, you know, I'm just not, don't really feel like it. Or Paul is saying it's a constant striving. It's a constant thing that we need to keep in front of us, that, that Jesus keeping this, as our singular focus is the thing that we need to be about. So when we, when we think about that, Paul is saying it's, it's your thinking that informs your emotions, aligns your desires, and then redirects your will. So when we, when we have right thinking about this, then it starts to align everything else in our hearts. So we, know, we need moments of this to be reminded of what is our pursuit as Christians. It's to follow Jesus. 
and become like Jesus. That is our singular pursuit. And that is actually what should unite the church. That is what should unite all of us, that we should be helping each other follow Jesus with our whole hearts, that we should be uniting around that. There's so many things that we could disagree about. And actually we can hold that tension of disagreeing and having different viewpoints if we're singularly focused on this. Hey, how are, how are you following Jesus? How are you knowing Jesus? How are you becoming like Jesus? How are you relying on the Holy Spirit's power? We, we need this. It is so easy to be divided, especially this. I mean, many of us experience this over Christmas, of different viewpoints coming in and all these things. And you know, you're just like, I don't even know how I'm gonna have relationship. I don't even know how we're gonna move forward. This is how we move forward. Paul is saying to be like-minded in this way, our pursuit of Jesus, of knowing him, becoming like him, is our one pursuit together that we can help each other. And that is actually what brings uh, unity. So here's some questions that I've been thinking through um, as I come to this test, and this will enter into our invitation to joy. And this is where I want all all of us in the the room to really, really just ask the spirit to kind of open our eyes and and hearts to this. But let's, let's ask this, where... Have I become apathetic in my pursuit of Jesus? Have we become apathetic in our, in our pursuit of Jesus? Where do I have things that I need to put aside, uh, put behind? Where am I maybe entangled in some, in some sin or, or in that I need to actually get realigned to this pursuit? What needs to shift in our life to make Jesus and this focus of knowing and becoming like Jesus the center part of our life? What needs to shift and, and kind of realign? So we need the spirit to, to fill us and to empower us because we cannot live in this way. We need our desires to shift. We need our, our, our aim and our focus to shift and, and where we're thinking about these things. So here's, here's our invitation to joy in the book of Philippians and in, in this passage in particular. Here, here's what it is. The call to pursue the one thing, the one thing that would move you toward the main thing, Christ. And so here's two things I want you to consider as application for today and what Paul is communicating to us through God's word. I think this is one thing, one thing that I need to put aside. So what Paul is saying is as he's pursuing Jesus in this way, as he's pressing on in this way, he's constantly putting aside things. Um, and he modeled what that, what that looked like of putting aside what he once thought was life and what he once thought was most important. He put those aside, straining, forgetting what was in past, what, what he thought was, and then now pursuing Jesus. So is there things that you need to actually realign and shift and put aside in order to pursue this? And this may be, you know, like uh, some things that of, of work or some things of, you know, just uh, things that you're putting above or over desire of things that need to be realigned. And then what is one thing you need to pursue? What is one thing I need to pursue? Like, how do I make uh, following Jesus and, and pressing on towards this uh, actually the main thing uh, in, in my life? Like, how do I do this? And there's some very tangible things that you could do. I mean, one thing that I've been thinking about, I taught this message uh, previous to Advent up in Brentwood, and I've been thinking about like one thing that actually I need to put aside in order to pursue Jesus in the very beginning of my day is I need to tra- charge my phone in a different room because I do not have the willpower to like wake up and not just grab my phone and be on it. Like I don't. And so I, I need to think through like, what does that look like for me to start my day with, with Jesus being the pursuit? 
And so one of the things that, you know, if, if you're thinking about um, in the new year of, of how, how you can start this pursuit and you're like, you know, I just need some guidance. I need a, a plan. Uh, the Bible Project, I would encourage you to download the Bible Project app. It actually has a, where it guides you through how to read the scriptures, how to understand uh, what God's trying to communicate in the scriptures. So the Bible Project app, they just came out with it. Um, would highly encourage that for you guys in this. But that's one thing I want you guys to be thinking to, through. So as Carl comes back up and we start thinking through this, those are two questions that as you start this new year, what, are, what is something I need to put aside and what is something I need to actually um, be pursuing and change the change in the pursuing? So let's come to the Lord's table. And if you, if you didn't grab one of these, you can go out in the vestibule there and grab those. But we'd love for you guys to stand, to stand with me as we, take, as we take the Lord's table today. So as you're, as you're peeling, this, peeling this back and getting, getting to the, the bread and the juice, one thing that Paul uses this language that we have been taken hold of by Jesus. And then for us to have the goal of taking hold of him. And I think it's so appropriate for us to be thinking about that we're actually holding in our hands, taking hold of these elements that remind us that we have been taken hold of. And so this, this morning, I wanna just remind us that we come to the Lord's table every single week at fellowship because he is the center of our faith. He is the center of our lives and we're to follow him with our whole hearts. And so when we come to the table, we're reminding ourselves that he is our singular focus, that he is our main pursuit. And we take hold of these elements. Why? Because he has taken hold of us. So the bread represents that he has taken hold of us by breaking his body in pursuit of you, that you would be reconciled and restored to him. And so as we take the bread, we're taking hold of what we have been taken hold of for, to be his and to be part of him. Take and eat. And in the same way, as we hold the cup, we're reminded from Philippians 2, we're reminded that Jesus came and emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and became obedient even to death on a cross. So think about that, that Jesus, to become like Jesus is actually to become an obedient servant, an obedient servant that gives up your rights to serve others that they may find life in him. We tank and we drink, reminded that we've been taken hold of. So as we sing this last song, once you be thinking about Paul's words in your mind that we press on toward the goal of knowing Jesus, becoming like him, putting aside what and forgetting what is lying behind, striving toward the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we sing this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I, I want you guys to make this your prayer, just to turn this song into a beautiful prayer that you can pray as an individual, you can pray with your family uh, next to you if you're, if you're with others as an individual. And so we come turning our eyes on Jesus, our singular focus in our pursuit.